If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of March 19, 2023. The podcast that has dollars drawn and quartered. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's pre-circulate the news of the bogus. It's not often we see an idiot extraordinaire reform themselves, but back in November of 2020, Naomi Wolf got it for not realizing that Biden supported lockdowns, and now, not only has she reversed course, she's apologized to conservatives. In fact, the title of her Substack article is, Dear Conservatives, I Apologize. She mentions having to confront her own gullibility and the temptation to sweep it all under the rug. But she just couldn't do it anymore, especially not with millions of people like her who fell for it and, quote, hurt millions of other people like you all in existential ways. And after seeing the new footage from the Jan 6 Capitol occupation proving that most of what the illegally constituted committee said about it was a lie, she feels she just can't do that any longer, quote, I owe you a full-throated apology. I believed a farrago of lies. And as a result of these lies, and my credulity, and the credulity of people similarly situated to me, many conservatives' reputations are being tarnished on false bases. From claiming it's misinformation that Nancy Pelosi was in charge of the Capitol Police when that's what their own website said, to the fake committee spending millions of taxpayer dollars to smear a former president and all his supporters as insurrectionists, to the outright lie about how Brian Sicknick died, a lie that persists to this day, there came a point where she just had to stop going along with it. Quote, There is no way for anyone thoughtful, even if he or she is a lifelong Democrat, not to notice that Senator Chuck Schumer did not say to the world that the footage that Mr. Carlson aired was not real. Rather, he warned that it was shameful for Fox to allow us to see it. How can you overuse real footage of events of national relevance? Senator Mitch McConnell did not say the video on Fox News was fake or doctored. He said, rather, that it was a mistake to depart from the views of the events held by the chief of the Capitol Police. But you don't have to agree with Mr. Carlson's interpretation of the videos to believe, as I do, that he engaged in valuable journalism simply by airing the footage that was given to him. And remember, by law, that footage belongs to us. It is a public record, and all public records literally belong to the American people. In a democracy, records belong to the people, explains the National Archives. I mean, so does the Capitol building. Most of the places the protesters went were places that were open to the public. And with the exception of a handful who engaged in violence and vandalism, most of them, as we covered, were not only peaceful, but actually kind of milquetoast. Quote, You don't have to agree with Mr. Carlson's interpretation of the videos to conclude that the Democrats in leadership, for their own part, have cherry-picked, hyped, spun, and in some ways appear to have lied about aspects of January 6, turning a tragedy for the nation into a politicized talking point aimed at discrediting half of our electorate. From the start, there have been things about the dominant Democrats and legacy media's narrative of Jan 6 that seemed off or contradictory to me. There is no way to unhear the interview that Mr. Carlson did with former Capitol Police Officer Tariq Johnson, 
who said that he received no guidance when he called his superiors, terrified as the Capitol was breached, to ask for direction. And if it really was such a horrible, violent insurrection, as she posted, why did none of the snipers that are always watching the Capitol do nothing about it? Quote, January 6th's narrative, via the Democrats in leadership, is a departure from our history and from our Constitution in messaging to the nation the novel theme that the public is categorically forbidden to enter the Capitol and that the Capitol is the province of legislators alone. This is simply not true. The Capitol is not a sealed place exclusively for legislators, but it is one that is supposed to, and indeed was constructed to, welcome and host the public in an orderly way. We should not be encouraged to forget this. And she's right. Everything from inaugurations to electoral vote certification, which this was, have always been open for members of the public to observe the proceedings. She also goes into how she believed the Trump-Russia conspiracy theory until it was completely and totally debunked. Quote, Because of lies such as those in legacy media, lies which I and millions of others believed, half of our nation's electorate was smeared and delegitimized, and I myself was misled. It damages our nation when legacy media put words in the mouths of presidents and former presidents and call them traitors or criminals without evidence. It damages our country when we cannot tell truth from lies. This is exactly what tyrants seek, an electorate that cannot know what is truth and what is falsehood. Through lies, half of the electorate was denied a fair run for its preferred candidate. Here's hoping she becomes a model of integrity for others to follow. Unfortunately, the news media is already on the attack, saying she's fallen in the conspiracist whirlpool, as Business Insider says, in a screed that spent 2,500 words attacking her without doing anything to refute the factual information she gave and sourced in her post. I'll let her get the last word in. I am sorry the nation was damaged by so much untruth issued by those with whom I identified at the time. I am sorry my former tribe is angry at a journalist for engaging in journalism. I am sorry I believed so much nonsense. Though it is no doubt too little too late, conservatives, Republicans, MAGA, I am so sorry. If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you create at Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. So, I don't use TikTok and I don't recommend that anyone else does either, just from a privacy and cybersecurity standpoint. 
Of course, I also don't recommend using Facebook, although they are better on the cybersecurity front. But the U.S. government really doesn't like it when other people do what they've done. It's the fact that the ones violating the privacy of TikTok users is the Chinese government rather than the White House that's made Biden threaten that TikTok will be banned in the U.S. if it doesn't divest itself from Chinese company ByteDance. Gee, I remember when Trump tried the same thing and the news media screeched that he was being racist. But Trump or Biden, it's a massive First Amendment violation to ban an app like TikTok that so many use to communicate with each other. Whatever harms might befall people from their privacy being violated by the Chinese will pale compared to their freedom of speech being violated by the U.S. In fact, that's exactly what a federal court ruled when Trump tried it with WeChat. It would be different if they had some specific allegation of harm to make against TikTok, but they just don't. It's all vague theoretical issues. Very real, but not the sort of thing you can litigate. And sadly, it may be one more step in the U.S. going against the open Internet. For years, the U.S. has claimed the moral high ground over China when they banned tons of American and other Western websites. But we've also covered things like domain seizures, where an entire website is taken offline because one user posted something on one page they disagreed with. And the threat to ban TikTok will just come that much closer to justifying China's actions against outside apps and websites. And it'll make the internet that much more geographical, that much more splintered. And it won't even help! The information TikTok is collecting from its users is available lots of other places for the right price. That's assuming it's even possible to begin with. Everything from alternate app stores to VPNs could help determine TikTok users to get around any such ban. Of course, there's basically no chance of this actually happening. In fact, don't even expect any official statement or really anything else beyond these backroom, backhanded, veiled threats. After all, a lot of young people use TikTok, and those are the ones he'd be depending on for his re-election. And his approval rating's on thin enough ice as it is. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age, so go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world, and they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. This one is just weird. I'll be honest, I'm not that sure how to cover it or even classify it. Okay, so OpenAI is the nonprofit outfit behind ChatGPT. According to Google's transparency report, OpenAI has requested takedowns of search results that allegedly infringe on their rights. 
Amidst all of the fears of writers and others that OpenAI is using their books, articles, and websites to train the AI without compensation, there's also the worry OpenAI has that others are exploiting ChatGPT without permission. Now, you might be thinking that this sort of question would have to wait until there's some sort of DMCA takedown. And you'd be right. It's just not any more enlightening. OpenAI has targeted links to Google results, as well as the Google Play Store, of all sorts of chat apps like ChatGod or ChatAI Pro. So it might seem like they're worried about third-party apps passing on ChatGPT's output while doing something nefarious in between, like spying on users' questions and conversations. Except, they also included things like an article on PCGuy.com explaining what ChatGPT is. And if you're wondering if maybe it's something like they're targeting articles written with ChatGPT, the Copyright Office has made it clear that the output of an algorithm, including AI, is not copyrightable. Making it more confusing is the fact that we can't know if it was really OpenAI that sent it or an imposter. TorrentFreak reached out to OpenAI and didn't get a response. Google also hasn't removed any of the URLs from its search, although they did remove the ChatGod app from the Google Play Store for reasons that aren't clear. But in a moment of epic inspiration, Torrent Freak writer Ernesto Vandersar, rather than just not writing the article, sought comment from ChatGPT itself. The AI told him, quote, It is possible that OpenAI has sent DMCA requests to Google in the past. OpenAI might send a DMCA request to Google's search engine if they have found that their copyrighted material is being hosted or distributed illegally by a third-party website that appears in Google's search results. This can include cases where websites are reproducing OpenAI's content without permission or distributing OpenAI's content in a way that violates their terms of use or intellectual property rights. It also said, quote, OpenAI would not typically ask Google to remove legitimate ChatGPT-related content, such as articles discussing the model or apps that use it with proper authorization. However, if OpenAI discovers that certain content is using their intellectual property, such as their copyrighted material, without permission or in a way that violates their terms of use, they may send a DMCA request to Google asking for the content to be removed from search results. For example, OpenAI may ask Google to remove apps that claim to use ChatGPT but are not authorized or approved by OpenAI, or articles that reproduce significant portions of their documentation or training data without permission or attribution. This is to protect their intellectual property and ensure that their work is being used appropriately and in accordance with their policies. When he asked if ChatGPT itself could assist OpenAI in the process, it provided an example of what a takedown notice would look like, as well as a counter notice and even a putback notice, which is how copyright owners respond to counter notices. Whatever the case, for the time being, a lot of this seems to operate in a gray area. While it's clear that the output of ChatGPT itself cannot be copyrighted, other issues aren't so clear. We're entering a bizarre world legally. Nothing in law or regulation has prepared for this. The only question is, what unintended consequences are we in for? Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? 
If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins, and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary-aged children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I, Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain, or regulations passed in the name of safety, and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 apiece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now it's time to gastrolate this week's biggest bogan emitter. And this week, it goes to Treasury Secretary and former Fed Chair Janet Yellen for comments she made before the Senate regarding Biden's proposed 2024 budget, with a placard that laughably read, The Honorable Janet L. Yellen. The total proposal is a whopping $6.9 trillion, full of stuff that's a socialist's wet dream and a financial advisor's nightmare. The White House claims to be cutting the deficit by $3 trillion, but like always, the funky budgeting of the government is claiming that this is after 10 years, with the bulk of it being after Biden is gone and isn't mandatory anyway, meaning it'll never happen. Meanwhile, back in reality, the CBO is projecting another $20 trillion being added to the debt over the next decade. Bob Bixby, executive director of the Concord Coalition, said that in order to keep the deficit from rising at a faster rate than the economy, Biden would have to cut it by more than twice what he is now. He also called the budget a campaign document. It wouldn't be so bad if he weren't saddling everyone with higher taxes, but he is. He claims, of course, that it's just taxing the rich, but it's undoing Trump's tax cuts, which were shown directly to have a positive effect on working families. And, of course, it helps Biden's biggest buddies, the big major banks. And that's where Yellen comes in. There's probably a lot over this three-hour-long testimony that would qualify her, but we'll focus on a five-minute exchange with Senator James Langford of Oklahoma. Every bank, every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of the size of the deposit, will they get the same treatment that SVP just got or Signature Bank just got? A bank only gets that treatment if a majority of the FDIC board, a supermajority, a supermajority of the Fed board, and I, in consultation with the president, determine that the failure to protect uninsured depositors would create systemic risk and significant economic and financial consequences. Uh Uh-huh. And which banks will those be? Langford wants to know if depositors of small, regional, and community banks will get the same protection. Because it really seems like, while most banks are insured up to $250,000 per account, if you're big enough, if you're SVP or Signature Bank or someone like that, it seems to be unlimited. And, of course, she didn't want to answer the question. So what is your plan to keep large depositors from moving their funds out of community banks into the big banks? We have seen the mergers of banks over the past decade 
I'm concerned you're about to accelerate that by encouraging anyone who has a large deposit in a community bank to say, we're not going to make you whole, but if you go to one of our preferred banks, we will make you whole at that point. Um, look, I mean, we're, that's certainly not something that we're encouraging. That is happening right now. That is happening because depositors are concerned about the bank failures that have happened and whether or not other banks could also uh, no, it, it, fail. No, it's happening and because it's, you're fully insured no matter what the amount is. If you're in a big bank, you're not fully insured if you're in a community bank. Well, you're not fully insured. and You, you big, were at Signature, and it, big, was, it just barely met that threshold. You were at Signature. Well, we felt that there was a serious risk of contagion that could have brought down and triggered runs on many banks, um, and that's something, given that our judgment is that the banking system overall is safe and sound, um, depositors should have confidence in the system and we took these actions. So there's a special assessment that's been done on community banks in my state and all banks across the country. Was there any discussion that that special assessment would only apply to the larger banks, or was it always assumed the special assessment would cover every bank, including rural banks in my state? Um, I, I think I, I'm not certain what the rules are around that. Um, that that's uh, for the FDIC to determine. It, it, Way to punt the ball there, Yellen. What is it about people in the Biden administration not being able to answer direct questions? Corrine Jean-Pierre notoriously refers all difficult questions to White House counsel or the DOJ or whoever, who, of course, aren't going to give an answer anyway. And now we have Yellen punting over to the FDIC. It is always fascinating to me as well, the conversation that taxpayers are being made whole in this, that taxpayers are not going to have any kind of consequence on this. I'm sure my bankers are going to be very excited to know they no longer pay taxes uh, and their banks no longer pay taxes. Credit unions don't pay taxes. Banks do. And so they're definitely taxpayers as well. And all banks make their revenue off of rates and fees and such to their account holders, which means every Oklahoman will pay higher fees we're, in their community we're, bank. We're just going to have to move on. If we have a lapse of the banking system and its economic consequences, that will have very severe effects I'm, on banks in Oklahoma I'm, that will also we're, we're, be threatened. I'm just worried about the long-term consequences We are going to have to move on. Our on as well. What does it say when, say, a Chinese investor at Signature Bank has greater assurances of their deposits than someone banking at a small rural bank in their home state. Looks like we're back to the old Obama-Biden policy of too big to fail. The question is, will we be able to afford it this time? Don't expect Yellen to answer that anytime soon. So all of that makes Janet Yellen this week's Biggest Bug on Emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. 
To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one customer service. Go to Firmoo, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmoo dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's euthanatize this week's... Idiot And it's another one for the federal government. No particular department, because they all seem to have done far less than their due diligence in protecting all of our information from hackers. Let's start with the two Americans who hacked into the DEA portal that gave them access to 16 different federal law enforcement databases. The two are alleged to be part of a larger criminal organization known as Vile that engages in social engineering of police and government officials using fake emergency data gaining access to email accounts that allow them to harass, threaten, dox, and extort their victims. According to the complaint, the two men are 19-year-old Cigar Stephen Singh, a.k.a. Weep, and 25-year-old Nicholas Serralo, who went by Convict and Ominous. Once they had the information of their victims, they would post it to a forum the complaint just refers to as Forum 1 and extort payment to have their information removed. They would also extort victims into giving them access to their social media accounts, which they then resell on the dark web. According to the government, on May 7 of last year, they gained access to the DEA portal, which, among other things, tracked narcotic seizures. Around the same time, it came out that cybercrime groups were using emergency data requests to file warrantless requests with social media firms and telephony providers. The EDR system is supposed to only be used for a situation that can't wait for a warrant because it's a matter of life and death. Apparently, Saralo had success in hacking into the police database in Bangladesh and from there was able to pose as a Bangladeshi law enforcement official to U.S. authorities. If you've ever wondered what the problem is with having our data in a central federal location, as opposed to all of this being done by the states the way our founders intended, this is a big reason why. And it doesn't help that our data just doesn't seem to be safe there. A joint advisory from CISA and the FBI says that multiple threat actors were able to break into a federal agency using a security vulnerability that was discovered and patched three years ago. The compromise allowed them to engage in remote code execution attacks by sending DLL files masquerading as ping images. Indications of compromise began in November of last year and continued through January. All that needs to happen is for the ASP.NET server to try and render the ping, which isn't even necessarily because someone browsed to the page. Being accessed by a script would do it. The DLL would then run a remote shell utility to drop any additional payloads the hackers wanted. It's bad enough when a company gets hacked, but even then, it's just limited to customers, employees, and other people directly affiliated with the firm. In the case of government, it's all our information, and we never got a say as to whether or not they could have it. So, circling back to our second story, 
Before the government goes blocking foreign apps we don't even have to use in the name of privacy, how about getting your own house in order first? So all of that makes the federal government this week's... Idiot Well, that wraps up this You Teutonic Twit edition of the Bogosity Podcast. Please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Edward Snowden. If you want to have a free world, if you want to have an open world, you have to respect people's rights to be different. And that is what we call privacy. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity.